Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Coach Paula. Hello there, Coach Larry Dean Roberts. Did you have a good day today? I had a very productive day. Wow, productive. Tell me all about it. I didn't do what was on my list because my main goal today was to clean my house. And I did not clean my house. Our house, I guess I should say. You live here too. <laughs> so, but... We share. We do. I did get up and do laundry and went out and got some errands run and helped Jacob with a little errand. And then I needed to go check on my mom's inventory in her room in the memory care unit. And she needed some things. Some supplies. <laughs> And when, so, when you say inventory, I'm thinking of like a warehouse of inventory. Oh, not necessarily. That's not what I was thinking. Anyhow, I needed to go buy some stuff and go buy there. And I came to tell you by, and you told me there was stuff also could possibly purchase while I was out, which sent me to the grocery side of the store. And I had to be back here by 11. I got back just in the nick of time. And it's fortunate that my running partner was five minutes late, so I didn't hold her up. And I got in my run today, which was six miles easy. And then I've gotten through most of my violin practice today, but I probably still have about 30 minutes to go. I'm really trying to nail this last piece in book four. I would like to graduate from book four before the end of June. It's just hard to fit everything in in a day. It is. And I will say, because I haven't done this for a long time, but at lunch today, I sat down and watched a show. Wow, that's unusual for you to relax. It was very unusual, but I felt much better after actually taking a break. The house can be cleaned another day. Yep. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to work on that before we hit the road so that we can go do a little trail run this weekend, which I'm looking forward to as well. Yeah, and I guess I will do some trail walking. Yeah, that'll be good. But we're doing some race reconnaissance, at least I am, for a future experience in the Tunnel Hill Marathon or 50 miler or 100 miler. Yeah. And we like to experience different races and venues anytime we can because we never know what race one of our athletes may want to choose or what they're thinking. And we like to have a heads up and know how to best prepare our athletes for their races. So looking forward to that. And I also like to say before we get too far into this podcast that I'm pretty proud of some of our athletes on Friday, and I guess it'll be a week ago Friday by the time this podcast comes out, because we have been ahead of the game on our podcast, but we had three team athletes run the Friday after 5 5K, and Chaney finished 
first overall female. Got a big old trophy. Way to go, Cheney. And Andrew finished second overall. And I guess also second male finisher. First in his age group. Definitely first in his age group. Personal best. And then our third athlete, Jacob. I think initially he had intended to race it, but I think he found another 5K that he wants to race that's a few weeks out. And so he actually helped to pace Cheney. So it was fun to cheer on all three of those athletes. And the heat index was over 90 degrees, and the wind, I mean, it was gusting probably to 30, 40 miles an hour at times. It was a pretty big wind, and so a lot of athletes would choose not to even race in those conditions, but I was proud that those three got out there, towed the start line, and crossed the finish line. Yeah, and our nephew Chase surprised us and showed up on the starting line, and he did Quite well as well. Yep. He showed up in his uh, fancy vapor flies to run the local 5K. Oh, yeah. So, that was funny. We love Chase. He's our uh, nephew who's very lighthearted and good-natured. Just always has a smile on his face and keeps us laughing. And he's very handy. He is very handy. So, you mentioned Jacob doing the 5K. He has found a group of guys to run with and it has really given him some enthusiasm to be consistent with his training even if he's not racing hopefully he's developing some good friendships yeah i think it's so helpful to even if every run is not with someone else or with a group it's nice to have those running friends and it just makes the time pass and also it as a layer of accountability, if you tell someone you're going to meet them at 6 a.m., then you're going to meet them at 6 a.m. Yeah. So, it's nice. So, my week of training, I have been doing a walk-run strategy as I'm recovering from my perineal tendonitis, cycling, swimming, doing some strength training, physical therapy. I had a little setback this week. My foot pain increased, and I was feeling it when I was walking, so I've taken a few days off and done more cycling and swimming. I don't want to be idle. And a friend of mine at a men's Bible study was talking to the group about a supplement that had made a big difference for him and a friend of his. And so I looked at the ingredients and it's an all-natural supplement. So I started taking that today. If I have good results with that and I will certainly share the name of that in a future podcast we shall see but whether it gets well or not after taking the supplement I'll give the glory to God because he guides the doctor's hands he guides the development of supplements and medicines so anyway how about Skibbo how's that going last night it went really well I had all the skip bows in my stack and you had zero skip bows <laughs> in your stack but it was still a very close game it was a beat down oh my goodness <laughs> and so i took a one game lead last night but prior to this recording we played a game while i was having supper and you had more skip bows than me in your stack and you ended up winning so we're even again so after 
14 months of keeping track of who wins between the two of us, <laughs> we are tied. I'm telling you, we'd save a lot of time if we just tossed a coin every night. So you are trying to get me hooked on playing Wordle, I believe. I'm not trying to get you hooked on it. It's just that, you know, if I have a really good game, like for some reason yesterday, I guessed the word in two guesses. And then today I guessed the word in three guesses. And so, of course, I want to, you know, make it a competition if I do well. But I probably won't send them to you if it takes me, all, you know, five or all six guesses mm, okay. to get the word. <laughs> and that game... Uh, there is strategy involved, but it's primarily luck as well, because if your first word just happens to have three or four of the five letters... That helps. That really helps. So I did something unusual this afternoon. I had the opportunity to volunteer at a facility called Dream Riders of Kentucky, which is an organization that houses horses and they have an indoor stable and they have volunteers that help disabled or challenged young people allow them to ride the horses and have a great experience gain some confidence and self-esteem it's just a really neat program i didn't see any of the clients interacting with the horses we me and another group were there cleaning and helping prepare for a celebration they're having on Saturday. But just a really neat organization. Is it designed for youngsters with physical differences or cognitive differences? Both, as well as students who are struggling in school but may not have either of those. So it's really just something to give them a positive outlet and gain confidence. Exactly. That's great. So yeah, great organization. So I had a few random news nuggets I wanted to bring up. In our last podcast, we talked about the 18-year-old high school senior who climbed Mount Everest. Well, you had asked who is the oldest or how old was the oldest female to climb Everest. Well, that was Tamei Watanabe. If I said that right, I'm thinking she's from Japan, and she reached the top at age 73 and a half. Okay, so, you know, I have a few years to think about that. And a couple I, decades to think about that. And I figured you were going to ask me how old the oldest male was. So that is Yuichiro Murara, also from Japan, and he did it at 80 and three quarters years old. There you go, so... You have two and a half decades to think about it. And while we're on the subject of older people, you remember the song, Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer? Yes, I feel like people sang that to me quite often after you and I hit the same deer out on our bike ride that morning. Yes, and... Although I was not a, I was not a graw graw yes, at that time. Ellie was not born then, but... We developed a whole new appreciation or lack of appreciation for deer. Deer are not smart. No, but I think we just need to talk about Ellie in a minute again because she has really started saying granddaddy and it kind of sounds like granddaddy, but grandmom sounds like grog grog. And I just think it's sweet. It is a very cute way to call for you. 
And Jacob asked me yesterday, hey, are we committing to Gra-Gra or are we still trying to go for Grandmom? I'm just like, whatever that baby wants to call me. <laughs> he said, well, don't you think when she's 16, she's not going to want to say, I'm going to see my Gra-Gra? <laughs> like, I think when she's 16, she can tell her friends she's going to see her Grandmom. But if she wants to call me Gra-Gra, it's, it sounds kind of funny, I us saying it, but when the baby says it, it's pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. All right. Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. Oh, yes. So that song has been sung by a guy named Elmo Shropshire, and it turns out that he is an elite runner. He's an elite runner in the 85 to 89-year-old age group. In January, he won the USATF cross-country national championship in his age group, doing a 10K in, I think it was 57 minutes, and second place was 64 minutes, so a sizable lead. May have only been two people in the age group. I'm not really sure. But he is in great health, doing some research on him. He has, in his elderly years, he's participated on a... 4 by 400 relay team. He's done the steeplechase. Can you imagine somebody 85 to 89 jumping over the steeplechase? <laughs> landing in the water pit. Come on. That's some uh, fountain of youth stuff right there. Kudos to Elmo. Hope that we can all be as healthy as him when we get up into our 80s. So another story I wanted to bring up. Ellen... Van Dyke just recently set the women's world record for the hour bike ride. And how much distance did she cover in an hour? She covered 30.6 miles riding as fast as she could on an indoor velodrome, which was 97 laps in an hour. And she beat the previous record by about a half a mile. Yeah, and she's not a senior athlete. No. She has the record of any age correct okay just want to clarify yeah. that since we were on the senior kick there we were on the senior kick <laughs> speaking of senior kick i am not at all offended when i go to get my hair cut and they give me the senior discount nobody's ever asked me if i would like the senior discount well they don't ask me they just charge me the senior price they just assume you're old i'm not complaining <laughs> so in our last podcast we talked a little bit about the Sub-7, Sub-8 project, and I got a little bit more information on the Pacers for, at least on the men's side. I haven't seen much on the ladies' side yet, but a lot of the Pacers are time trial specialists. Some of them come from the same pro cycling team, so they're comfortable riding with each other. But just a couple of notes, one of... Christian Blumenfeld's Pacers is Matt Bottrill, who is a time trial specialist at the age of 45. So it's impressive to be at that level in the mid-40s. And Adam Duggleby is a pro cyclist, but his specialty, at least since 2014, has been competing as a tandem pilot for a vision-impaired elite cyclist doing paracycling. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. I didn't even know that was a thing. 
Yeah, I didn't know tandem bike was a thing either. And then one other note on the Pacers. Alistair Brownlee has enlisted his brother, Johnny, to be one of his swim pacers. Oh. So the Brownlee duo. How many swim pacers has he elected to have? I've only seen an announcement on one so far. So more to come on the Sub 7, Sub 8 project. Are you ready for the podcast topic? Do you have a topic? I do have a topic. All right. Well, let's go with your topic since I really don't have one. You've been busy. <laughs> I'm entitling this podcast, Another Lap in the Pool. Just one more lap. Another Lap in the Pool. We've had podcast topics in the past about swimming, and I thought it was about time that we revisited the topic. Triathlon season is upon us or coming upon us. And for a lot of athletes, swimming is the most challenging, maybe even the most frightening aspect of triathlon. But I just wanted to talk with you again about some things that athletes can do to get through the swim or enjoy the swim or improve their swim, depending on where they are in their swimming fitness journey. Yeah, and definitely depending on the level of the athlete and what the athlete has mastered, there would be different ways we would prioritize what they would think about during their swim sessions. Yeah, and if your objective in a triathlon is to just finish, then you really just have to beat the swim cutoff. But we would prefer all athletes be comfortable in the water and really not have to worry about the cutoff. No, and just like we want each athlete to cycle to his or her, her full potential and run to his or her full potential, we also want them to be able to swim to his or her full potential. And there is technique to be learned in cycling and in running, but in swimming, there's a whole lot more technique to be learned. So all three require technique and fitness where I would say the bike and run is more heavy on the fitness side of it. And the swim is really heavy on technique, although you do need swim fitness as well. Agreed. And I was thinking about there's definitely running technique, and there's definitely swimming technique, and there's also cycling technique, but I feel like a lot of the technique around the bike focuses on having a bike that's the right size and having a proper bike fit so that the bike fits you well. But still, you got to have bike handling skills. You need to know how to repair your bike if you get stuck out on the road and you need to know how to control your pace. But anyway, we're talking about swimming today. So if you're thinking about a triathlon or you are thinking about learning how to swim, you really need to Think about taking small chunks and take it one step at a time. And you've probably heard the saying, every journey starts with one step. And that's true. And another one is, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And I heard another saying that I thought was relevant for this topic of another lap in the pool. It was the analogy of chocolate versus kale. We know that eating kale is good for us. It's got lots of nutrients. And if we fuel ourselves with foods like kale, we're likely to be healthier as we age. 
And if you eat chocolate, it's delicious. And we're not talking about the 90% dark chocolate. We're talking about the milk chocolate, Hershey's Kisses, or Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. You get that instant gratification of, this tastes really good. But you may not get any long-term positive benefits from that. So with chocolate, you got instant gratification. With kale, you have delayed gratification. And you may see that same thing in your swim. It's really more about that delayed gratification. The first few lengths, the first few laps, the first few strokes may be rough, but as you stick with it... And by few, it could be a few hundred. <laughs> it could be. You're going to be building confidence. You're going to be building fitness. You're going to be building technique. And you're going to build a new ability to train that should last for a lifetime. So small steps, incremental gains, consistency. We talk about that a lot across our coaching. So let's talk about some things to focus on when you're swimming. One of the things that is so key is balance. The idea of having your head down and your rear end up. The water is about 800 times more dense than the air. On the bike, there's such a focus on aerodynamics to gain speed, to get more speed for the same amount of power. Well, multiply that by 800 times in the water. The smaller hole you can pull yourself through the water, it's just so much less water that's having to move, so much less energy required. Yeah, the less water resistance you can create, the better for sure. And balance is the key to that. When we're looking at athletes, primarily on video, of their swimming, and they're asking for pointers, one of the most common things that we see is that athletes are pulling their head up when they take a breath. And that shifts your balance you know, kind of like a teeter-totter. If one end goes up, the other end goes down. So if your head comes up, your feet go down, and you're dragging so much more water with your stroke. Yeah, and it's not just your feet that go down, like your entire core shifts. I agree. So one thing you can try to focus on to help you to remember to keep your head down is to try to keep one eye underwater on every breath. And I went to the pool this morning and preparing for this podcast topic, I came across another drill to help you focus on keeping your head down. And it was called the the paddle drill. Have you heard of the paddle drill? I mean, I've done paddle drills, but this could be a completely different paddle drill. It is completely different. So typically the paddles, you put them on your hands so that your hands grab more water. So you can work on... Really getting the feel. You're working on strength, but you're also working on getting the feel because if you are not pulling directly backwards, the paddles are going to try to come off your hands. But anyway, the paddle drill related to head down and balance has to do with placing a paddle on the crown of your head and swimming and trying to have your forward momentum keep the paddle from coming off your head. So I tried that this morning. 
for the first time, it did not go so well. Now, maybe the fact that the paddles that we have at our local health club are the contoured ones that you slide your thumb through rather than the flat ones that have the piece of rubber to hold your hand. But I could not keep it on my head. And actually, when I finished this drill, the lifeguard came over to check on me to make sure I was okay. Like I was flopping around in the, in the pool trying to retrieve the paddle and put it back on my head and take off swimming again. So it's good that the lifeguards are paying attention, but I was fine. I yeah, just so couldn't do that drill very well. So a couple of things about the paddle drill and balance. First of all, you're not going to have balance when you're taking a breath if you don't have balance when you're not taking a breath. So taking it a step backward, if your core and your bottom is dropping and your legs are dropping in the water, even when you're not taking a breath, then it's a balance issue for sure. And so some other things to think about with balance is like keeping your neck straight and not cocked up looking at the stripe kind of a even maybe a little bit behind you on the bottom of the pool and then trying to really get that sense of swimming downhill which you won't really be swimming downhill but you can kind of get a feel for that to get your head in that neutral position and sometimes if our athletes are really struggling with cocking their head up we'll have them either actually or at least visualize having a tennis ball that they're holding with their chin. Like we don't want their chin on their chest, but just thinking about that position of the head, if you've got a ball that keeps that neck a little bit more neutral. And then my comment on the paddle drill is that would require you to keep your head down and that neck in a more of a neutral position rather than cocking your head up. But the other thing about the paddle drill is you have to keep consistent forward momentum so that's a whole lot more than balance that's really a next and much more advanced skill even than just balances keeping a consistent forward momentum and that really just has to do with maximizing each stroke and as the right arm is finishing pulling water the left arm has to be in the process of beginning or already pulling water if you're going to keep a consistent momentum yeah, you don't want any lull in your stroke. And I think that's the piece that I struggled with the most. I thought the balance in the water came relatively easy for me because I was comfortable in the water. I just never learned to swim. But then that's where I stopped. Like I thought, well, if I have good balance in the water, I'm going to be fast. And I wasn't. And then I just realized, yes, balance is an important first step, but you got to get that strength and that stroke and that feel and pull and timing the mm-hmm. and timing so yeah which i may be getting ahead of you on that but you're doing great but i think that is a part of keeping the paddle on your head too is you have to keep that consistent forward momentum kind of like when you're doing on a bicycle a one leg drill you have to have a consistent push scrape pull like a full pedal stroke or you're going to get a lot of jerkiness in that pedal stroke all right moving on to another tip it's important to 
when you're bringing your recovery arm around and preparing for your next stroke, you want your fingers pointing down and your elbow pointing up. This allows you to position your arm when it goes into the water and is extended to grab as much water as possible. It's really important to not allow your palm to come up to where you're like putting the brakes on. You want to keep your palm facing down so that it is ready to start grabbing the water or catching the water and you want to pull as much water with each stroke as you can. And something you can do to check to make sure that you are recovering appropriately is as you're taking a breath, one eye underwater, one eye above the water, you can glance at that hand and elbow to the side, not out in front, but see if the hand is below the elbow and the hand is pointing down. Yeah, so a couple things about that is, so you need your arm to be a wide enough entry, like you don't want it crossing over your body or you're just going to be contorted so you've got a wide like shoulder width or maybe even a little bit wider while you're getting used to this entry into the water and then just kind of as a visual i've always thought of it as fingers below wrist wrist below elbow exactly that's a good way of saying it and since we're talking about catching as much water as possible the the skull one drill is a great way to get a feel for catching water with your palms. Mm-hmm. And you can YouTube. There's a lot of YouTube examples of what that school in position one looks like. And it's nice to kind of do that school one for one length of the pull and then a freestyle stroke to return on to complete the lap and try to get that same feel in the freestyle that you got in the school one. Yeah, you want to translate your drills into freestyle. And so that's a great way. 25 drill, 25 free. Mm -hmm. So after catching as much water as possible, you want to pull your arm all the way through to the hip as if you're pushing the water to the back wall. And just as a, a way to help you verify that you're pushing all the way through, pulling all the way through, you could tap your thumb against your hip or your thigh, and then start your recovery. Yeah, and again, you want to maximize the distance each hand is pulling so that the other hand can get up there and recover and start the pull as well to eliminate the gap. Yeah, and you want to be very mild in your rotation. It's almost more of a twist of your core rather than rocking side to side, but it's all set up by bringing your hand all the way to your hip and thigh and then recovering with that wide elbow. Yeah, if you're properly pulling through the water all the way through the stroke, your body is going to naturally, your hips and body are going to naturally counterbalance with some amount of rotation. So we haven't talked about kicking. Kicking tends to be a real challenge for people who start swimming later in life, particularly athletes who have a running background and may have inflexible ankles. But fortunately, 
The kick is not super important in triathlon swimming. So don't put a whole lot of effort into the swim kick unless you are thinking about doing draft legal triathlon or you're wanting to do swim only competitions. So really just try to relax the legs, point the toes, and we often encourage athletes to use a pool buoy. But some people have a hard time calming their legs even with a pool buoy. So they're getting some extra balance with the pool buoy, but they're still kicking. So we try to relax the legs. And if you end up in a wetsuit legal triathlon, then you really need very little kick at all. But at some point, you'll want to be training without the pool buoy so that you get comfortable with your balance and pointing your toes and incorporating your legs into the stroke. Even if you're not getting a lot of power out of your kick, you want to make sure you're not expending a lot of energy with your legs. Then it's also important to learn to sight, and you don't have to be in open water to practice this. You can do it in the pool, but develop a pattern of where you're glancing ahead and maybe in advance pick out something that you're going to be looking specifically for, like a towel that's on the pool deck or a clock that's on the pool deck or, you know, something, whatever happens to be available. And as far as when to take the site, it's a good idea to do that after taking a breath as you're bringing your head back underwater after taking the breath just quickly lift your head to get your eyes looking forward and then submerge your head as quickly as possible you want to avoid prolonged having your head up yeah you definitely want to do it in conjunction with the breath but some athletes do that by taking the quick sight right before the breath because i I don't know it preference preference i'm just sitting here logistically going through the stroke of which one would would be more of a natural and i guess it really i definitely sight and then breathe but i'm sure there are people who can efficiently breathe and then sight yeah that makes sense but as far as sighting like learning the technique of getting it in efficiently without losing that balance in the water is important That's why it's also so important to get into open water so you don't have that line at the bottom of the pool and you can find a tree that you're going to swim to or find a if there's a buoy in the water, you can swim right toward that by sighting it. Yeah. But it makes a huge difference to swim the shortest distance. (laughs) It's like being in lane one versus lane eight in a track. (laughs) Which leads into the next tip is learn to swim straight. Yes, especially without a line in the pool. You don't want to have to sight every two strokes, every three strokes. You want to develop a balanced stroke so that you're moving in a straight direction. And then when you do your sighting, you can make mild corrections or just really see if anything has changed in front of you. But one way you can work on swimming straight is to shut your eyes and take a few strokes and then open your eyes and see if you are still following the lane line or still on target for 
the buoy that you're aiming at. But that's a great way to figure out if your stroke is potentially imbalanced. Yeah, it's definitely very enlightening to figure out if you have a weaker stroke on one side than the other. And then you can, you know, where to focus and what to work on. Yeah. Talking about swim straight, our uh, daughter was a gymnast through eighth grade, and then she switched to swimming and diving and uh, track and cross country. And her coach had her do the backstroke, which at our health club, there were straight lines on the ceiling. And so she was doing the backstroke and doing quite well at it, but he didn't realize that she was just using the ceiling of our health club to keep herself straight in the middle of the lane so we go to this meet out of town and it's a auditorium with a curved ceiling and she was all over the lane lines like it was just such a frustrating it wasn't anybody's fault it's just how she had gotten used to swimming and there wasn't any frame of reference for her point of reference yeah so that was definitely enlightening for her and for the coach so, yes, Bethany, you're welcome for us sharing that. <laughs> Swimming straight is very important. Yes, it is. It's also important to practice in a crowd, in a triathlon swim. You're going to get bumped. You're going to get splashed. And you can simulate that, whether it's in open water with a group of friends, or you can share a lane at your local swimming pool and get comfortable getting bumped, dealing with waves and splashing It's also important to not panic in those situations, so get comfortable if you feel like you need to pause or tread water. It's always a good idea to continue moving forward, so you may consider the backstroke or the breaststroke, but obviously you want to resume your freestyle as as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I don't know if you have this later, if this is part of it, but sometimes when you get bumped or sometimes if you have a a jumping in entry you may lose your goggles so I would definitely practice losing your goggles and can you tread water well enough to get your goggles back on because you want to stop and fix your goggles if they come off like it's just not going it's not going to work to swim 1.2 miles or 2.4 miles or however far you're swimming Mm -hmm. without your goggles so really get used to and I would do this in your open water swim when you're in water over your head (laughs) knock your goggles off and see if you can Mm -hmm. tread water well enough to get them back on make sure your goggles float before you knock them off (laughs) are there goggles that don't float I'm just throwing out that possibility (laughs) I bet there are that's funny I'm thinking my form swim goggles my smart goggles those would sink they may sink They've got a little weight to them. We may have to test that. It reminds me of the late night David Letterman when he used to, back when late night wasn't political, it just kind of used to be funny. He would have that will it float segment. I thought you were going to talk about Blippy and his will it float oh, segment. Oh yeah, he does do a float or sink. He got that from Letterman, I'm sure. <laughs> I think... Eliane likes my imitation of Blippi. Yeah. When I'm walking with my spaghetti arms. I said, who's that? She said, granddaddy or however she says your name. And then you started acting like Blippi. And I said, well, now who is it? She said, Blippi. (laughs) (laughs) And I was putting together, we have little magnetic blocks and they're different colors. And I was putting them together in various 
color patterns, like alternating colors, trying to get her to recognize patterns and then putting them in different size rectangular arrays. The One of the rectangular arrays I put together was blue and orange. And I was really just trying to think of local school colors that complement each other. And she saw that and said, Blippi. And I laughed and thought it was so funny. So then she started looking at the, because Blippi's two favorite colors are blue and orange. And then because I thought it was so funny, she rolled with that. We completely lost our whole pattern lesson and array lesson. But, you know, she's two. And so then she looks at the purple and yellow pattern I had and said, yellow blippy. And then she looked at the red and black when she said, red blippy. So anyway. She so, likes blippy. So I digress. What were you talking about? Oh, swimming. Yeah, we were talking about practicing in a crowd. So the next tip is practice making turns. In most triathlons, it's going to be open water. There's going to be buoys set up. It's unusual that you would have like a point-to-point swim. It's typically going to be that you're going to make some kind of a loop, maybe multiple loops, and you're going to have to go around buoys, and it's going to get crowded at the buoys, and you need to be comfortable altering your stroke to make that curve, and again, swimming in a crowd. Make sure you're comfortable getting bumped a little bit going around the curves. Yeah, again... And I've made this mistake when I was a beginning swimmer. I I thought, well, I'll just swim extremely wide around that buoy. Well, I was just adding a lot of time and a lot of distance to my overall swim. So you just have to get in there and take that tight turn around the buoy and start heading home. Mix it up with the others. Another thing you could practice is drafting with other swimmers. You can either draft behind the feet in the bubbles from someone who is kicking a little bit. And I'm happy for somebody to draft behind me, but when they start scraping my feet... That is annoying. It is very distracting. Right or wrong, I have a tendency to kick a little bit extra when that happens. Maybe it's comparable to road rage, which (laughs) I don't have road rage. Maybe I have some... Being touched while swimming rage. <laughs> you get a little aggressive in the pool. And I just need to accelerate my kick a little bit, hoping to shoo the hands away from my feet. But another way you can draft is off of somebody's hip. And that's probably a little less annoying. Even if you bump a little bit on the side, that's not nearly the same as bumping somebody on the feet. And as you're practicing swimming in a crowd, it's really important to be comfortable breathing to both sides. In open water, you don't necessarily know what direction the waves are going to be coming from or where you're going to be splashed from another athlete. You don't know necessarily where the sun's going to be coming from. And you don't want to be looking at the sun every time you take a breath. Oh, yes. And in triathlon, they set the start time of a triathlon based on when the sun's coming up. So you better be able to breathe. The opposite side of the sun is going to be in your face. Yeah. And sometimes you're going to be swimming towards the sun. Which makes sighting (laughs) interesting. Which makes it very challenging to sight. So it's important to 
get your goggles clean and try to prevent them from fogging up. And they make some drops that are supposed to help keep your goggles from fogging. But a little spittle seems to work quite nicely. I'm going to say that has really not worked for me. But what has worked for me is if I put my goggles on well in advance of getting in the water and my goggle temperature has had a chance to get closer to my face temperature. I kind of, I think I heard an Olympic athlete talk about that because if you'll notice the Olympians, they come out and they have their goggles on a long time before they ever get in the water. Well, there you go. So there you go. I may have just made that up or it may be a pro tip, but it has worked for me if in the locker room I go ahead and put my goggles on. Then by the time I get in the pool, they don't fog on me. Good to know. I did not know that. I have not tried that. Well, why don't you try that and you can fact check me. Fact check. Mm, okay. <laughs> it might be a Paul fact. All right. Just a couple more tips. If your triathlon is going to be wetsuit legal, and sometimes you just never know, so you need to be prepared. Wearing a wetsuit is a good thing for comfort for buoyancy, for safety. For saving the legs. Saving the legs. But you need to practice in your wetsuit. If you do practice in a swimming pool, it's important to rinse it off afterwards so the chlorine doesn't damage your wetsuit. But you want to find out if you are going to have any chafing issues in your wetsuit. And if you notice any hot spots when you're practicing, be sure to lube those up with body glide, Vaseline, whatever your preference might be. And then get comfortable taking off the wetsuit while it's wet. <laughs> that just always reminds me of the story where you came home and I was stuck in my wetsuit. Remind me. I don't remember this story. Well, I'd never had a wetsuit before and we still lived where we used to live. And I got that wetsuit on. And if I remember correctly, I put it on backward. But I don't So the zipper was in the front? <laughs> yes, I don't remember. Okay. Anyway, I could not. It must have had it on forward then because I don't remember, but I could not get it unzipped. So I was in that wetsuit in the house roasting probably a good <laughs> 45 minutes before you got home from work. And then you helped me get out of it. I hope you were staying hydrated. It probably didn't cross my mind. Hmm. Anyway, I can't believe you don't remember that because you really got a good laugh out of that. And in some triathlons, they have volunteers who are wetsuit strippers, and that really helps you get it off, but you need to be able to do it on your own, just in case. Yes, and if your tri-suit is two-piece, just be really careful utilizing the wetsuit strippers. <laughs> Make sure the only thing they strip is the wetsuit, and that is not from personal experience. That's good to know. <laughs> All right, one last tip. You want to practice, practice, practice. And if you can't get to open water, practice in a pool. If you can get to a 50-meter pool, that's going to be a closer representation to open water swimming because the wall is so much further away. But get in the habit of not touching the bottom, not touching the wall. We encouraged one of our athletes recently to take up two lanes at the pool when it's not crowded 
and avoid touching the wall, swim under the lane line, then do a length, swim under the lane line, do a length. So make a, a loop without ever touching the wall. So that's a strategy to, to help you overcome using the wall as a crutch. And then as far as swimming in a crowd, in a pool, how many friends do you think you could fit in one lane of a pool and do circle swim? It could be quite a few, but that would be a great way to practice bumping and waves and splashing. And it would just be a uh, team building opportunity for you and your friends up close and personal, but try to avoid touching the feet. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So you can spend thousands of dollars trying to be more aerodynamic on the bike, but you're going to get more bang for your buck if you really focus on technique and preparing yourself for a quality swim. Again, you want to swim through the smallest hole possible. So balance is so important. Aerodynamics in the water, it, it takes hard work, but it's well worth it. And practicing for what you're going to experience in the triathlon is so well worth it. We've known people, we've experienced people being surprised by the drastic difference open water swimming is compared to pool swimming. So get comfortable in the water. Remember, it's going to take a while, but the long-term benefits are worth it. You're going to enjoy your triathlon better. It's great fitness. And who knows, you might be super fast someday. So I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, attending a men's Bible study. The last time we met, we were challenged to research the difference between joy and happiness. And joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And I came across a scripture that I would like to share. It is from Psalm 30. It has to do with joy. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So thinking about swimming, it may be rough for a little while, but you're going to be glad you did it later on. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.